Uh, this is kind of a shitty view for you, hey? Can't see my fucking mouth. I mean, if you can put me up a bit, then that'd be fine. But yeah, I can get you on something. Let me help you out. Hang, hang me off the monitor or something. All right. That seems all right. <laughs> it really feels like you haven't done anything. <laughs> I have. I moved you closer and I put you higher. I can't. The best right. I can best I can do is put you on. Now a I can't even box. see your fucking eyes, bro. Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. How you doing, boy? Hello. We're back in lockdown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. Um, I think probably most people that fucking listen to this will be because uh, we managed to make New Zealand lockdown as well. <laughs> hey. <laughs> so yeah, uh, sorry. That was actually my fault. Um, I'm in charge mm-hmm. of the entire country's COVID response, and I really fucked this one up. So, um, yeah, that's my bad. Uh, that's we bad. we refuse to upload this podcast uh, to ac- sites that are accessible in New Zealand. If you want it in New Zealand, we demand that you you receive a package from us that contains the podcast on a USB stick and like a sample of Aaron's saliva. Yeah, that I've coughed on and then put in a yeah, yeah, yeah. petri dish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I really I thought I'd stumble over that, but I, I somehow, dish, miraculously, I got there. What? Huh? What? What? We're, we're on. We're we're back on video <laughs> chat. I don't know if you all can tell. <laughs> There's actually no lag. I think that was just both of us being dumb shits. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. All right. Um. Should we, should we launch into like a tiny a tiny bit of news then? I don't have very much because fuck all's been happening. But yeah, that's right. I mean, we can we can get a little bit. Yeah. Right. Let's try. Let's see how we go. Now Oscar's looking at me because he thinks I was off time, but I wasn't. I was on time. Beef bullet. You finished the music like... A full two seconds yeah, after I, I know, did. I know. You doubt every time and then you listen to it and it's perfect. I'm good. I'm fine. <laughs> All right, cool. I really don't know how we, how this is going to go. Okay, we'll, we'll see how we go. All right. Uh, in Dune news, mm-hmm. Dune runtime has been revealed by Denis Villeneuve. I reckon. Okay, can it's, I predict? Uh, sure. Okay, so what was the runtime of Blade Runner 2049? Blade I don't know that off the top of my head. I'm I'm looking it up. It's all right. I'm doing my own research. Okay, <laughs> that's not true. Google says four hours forty one minutes. <laughs> Certainly feels that way. Hey, that's hey. not correct. Yeah, and I wish it was twice as long. <laughs> um, okay, the runtime is one hundred and sixty three minutes. So that's two hours twenty three, right? No. Yeah. Two hours forty three. Can I give I you? It's, can I, I give you it's one hint? Two hours forty five. Yes. Oh, okay. No, forget it then. Oh, it's two hours 35. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. My hint was going to be that it's 18 minutes longer than uh, David Lynch's June. Oh, right. Well, that would have thrown me way off because I, <laughs> I don't know how long that shit is. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so that's that's June news for the week? Yeah, okay, very nice. I'm looking forward to that a long. lot, but I refuse to have any expectations. I'm not looking up anything about it. I'm not going to look up any reviews. Um, although I think it's had test screenings and people have enjoyed it, right? 
I can't remember. Anyway, whatever. I'm I'm very uh, excited. I, I, I saw someone online saying they liked it, so that's got to count for something. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and that's yeah, all um, I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Keaton is reprising his role as Batman in a new movie called The Flash, uh, which is coming out in the next... I don't know. It's coming out soon. Who knows? It's coming out soon. The headline here is, Michael Keaton had to read The Flash script three times to understand it. Quote, I'm not being arrogant. I'm stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Is it... That's it. So it's about The Flash, the superhero... Oh, but that guy can, like, break the rules of the universe, right? So, that's probably why he's fucking... They've probably done some insane, like, uh, Christopher it's Nolan like time travel sort of thing. shit. Yeah, because he can move so fast, he's breaking the time con- continuum. So, I can... Okay, sure. Yeah. yeah. Michael Keaton okay, this, is a this himbo, is weird. But... So, this, this, movie's, <laughs> this movie's coming out in November 2022, and it, Ben Affleck is also in it as Batman. Oh, so they're, they're doing uh, they're doing Spider Verse for Batman's, dude. Fuck yeah, yeah, yeah. They do it. They do it. Um, what's what's that thing where oh, they're doing like uh, Interstellar, but Batman, where the time time travels travels slower for the Flash, or time travels faster for the Flash than it does for real life. And Ezra Miller is going to play the is that, speedy is that time- lead. Are you talking about? Um, <laughs> are you talking about Inception? <laughs> no, I said Interstellar. Time travels slower, and oh, because of the black hole. Right. Okay. Yeah, you. yeah, and so they I need like you. they need like young you. and old versions of all the characters. Yeah, okay, all right, I'm with you, I'm with you. Okay, and who's playing Idiot. the slimy lead, Ezra Miller? Ezra Miller's playing the speedy lead, not the oh, slimy lead. lead. I thought you said slimy. Fuck, this is not going to go well. Speedy, okay, um, right, so he's, yeah, he's reprising his role from um, Justice League then, okay. Yeah, yeah, um, this is, this is interesting and kind of an irritating headline. Yeah, <laughs> well, this this is irritating, if only because the um. So the anyways, Anderson film hasn't fucking come out yet. The yep. the uh, the French Dispatch. I'm really looking forward fact, to it. it hasn't fact come out checking. Yet. Okay, zero Pinocchios. That's correct. There you go. Boom. <laughs> uh, even then, he's filming another movie right now in Spain. Uh, and the headline here is that Margot Robbie, Tom Hanks, and Scarlett Johansson are gonna be in it. All I right. think those are all newbies for um, newbies for Wes Anderson. And I saw another headline somewhere yeah, else that I've say. closed here now that says Brian Cranston's also going to be in it. I don't think he's worked with any of those actors before. Okay, there you go. Oh, <laughs> here we go. There. They will join Adrian Brody, Bill Murray, Jason Schwartzman, and Tilda yep. Swinton. <laughs> yep, there it so is. So Wes is back on his bullshit. Back on his bullshit. <laughs> Fuck. Hey, when, when it works, Have it works. Got... Don't mess with the winning formula. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, I really like Scarlett Johansson. I reckon, like, out of, like, all the main, like, the, the huge, like, Hollywood blockbuster, act- like, actors and actresses, I reckon she's genuinely good, and she's done a lot of those, like, cool indie, maybe not indie, I don't know, she's done, like, movies like Her, and all these, like, sort of, like, arty films that I think give her a bit of cred that a lot of the other ones don't. Yeah. Like, what the fuck's Captain yeah. America doing? Chris Evans. Yeah, nothing, basically. Yeah, exactly. Like, that dude That that dude hasn't been in any movies. For a dude who won't shut the fuck up about how much he hates being Captain America, he's really only done Captain America movies. It was out now, right? Because they killed him. Yeah. Well, no, they just time-traveled yeah. his ass. Like, he has, like, 60 years where he could just be in, like, a million more movies. Yeah, but they made him... They, I think that the point was... It's like him and Downey Jr. were both, like, fuck off. Yeah, yeah. Marvel would want yeah. like, all right, Captain America comes out of retirement in the fifties, and then the sixties, and then the seventies, and then the eighties, and then the nineties. Yeah. He like nah, lethal weapons his him. way through like fifty years of like one last day till retirement shit. Yeah, they'll just reboot it and cast someone else. Last headline. 
which isn't much of a headline, but I'm only reading it out because it's related to the new James Bond movie. Okay. James Bond news. We have been covering this fucking James Bond movie. I don't think a new James Bond movie has come out since we started this podcast. No, it hasn't. This is like, is this like, (laughs) is this the first, is this the first movie that got absolutely owned by by the Rona. I, I think feel it like is. we've been talking about this the longest. It might have needed to come out like March last year. Yeah, I reckon it I reckon that's when it when it was originally. I can't be fucked to look it up. But yeah, I think this is like the one. Yeah, this yeah. is the um what is it? Like the first the 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 patient zero of films getting delayed and fucked over by coronavirus. So yeah. yeah. There really has been so many fucking instances of times in Australia where Whole, all of Australia was open, and we could have seen the movie. And it feels like the US is opening. Like It could have come out, I feel like, three weeks ago. Oh, maybe not three weeks ago. A couple months ago, and we would have been fine. Yeah, and it probably would have maybe. been right. Oh, yeah. I don't know. In any case, the headline here is that it's now going to be coming out in November. Uh, the headline here is that it's now going to be coming out November 11th in okay. Australia because of all the COVID shit that's happening right now, which I really... Really think means that this movie just may may never. That's come out. very ambitious. <laughs> I think based on how New South yeah. Wales case numbers are looking, I reckon it might never come out. <laughs> yeah, fuck. Well, they're just uh, gonna have to release it on streaming services. Sorry. Like, well, yeah, well this says that it's coming out uh, in. Oh, that's a good point. Why don't they do that? They could they could do that and charge like thirty bucks a stream and still make a fair yeah. amount of money for it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I've heard that, like, yeah. you know, there's, like, people's, like, talent been suing companies for releasing on streaming services because their contracts rely on, like, um, it's, like, their contracts... Well, yeah, that's the, other, that, that's the other headline I had, was that Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney over releasing Black Widow straight to streaming. And I think it's yeah, exactly that's right. for that reason, because her, her contract gave her part of the money from box office. and It's part of the money from, yeah, from box it. office in the first period with which it's released or something so they're like yeah, harming yeah. quite a bit of her her margins and like not the uhu boohoo like rich person makes less money but i'm sure that in a, in a lot of ways this could have been renegotiated in ways that it's not being renegotiated and it seems like it is a little bit of an advantageous kind of cost saving mechanism so if i was going to side between like actors with contracts and huge production companies i'd probably be siding with the actors um, in terms of like who yeah. has the moral high ground, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, can can I read you this statement from Disney and see if it convinces you to agree with Disney? Uh, yes, <laughs> it would be a miracle. A, Dis- <laughs> a Disney spokesman said that Mr. Mr. Uh, Hansen's suit has no merit and is quote especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID nineteen pandemic. The Great. company said it had fully complied with her contract, and furthermore, the release of Black Widow on Disney Plus with premiere access has significantly enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation on top of the twenty million dollars that she has already been paid. Yeah. Yeah, but how much are the Disney XX getting paid on this? Like that yeah, they're like, yeah. um, it's pretty fucking selfish of you to be thinking of your contract during coronavirus. And also, um, we're actually letting you like you can make <laughs> your own money this way. Nah, I'm I'm still off it. Yeah, fuck. I don't Scarlett know. Johansson uh, has terrible politics. Fuck that person. But in terms maybe of Disney the, is the good guy in this situation. Did you ever think nah, of that? In terms of the in terms of the 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 contract shit, <laughs> I'm sure that you know yeah. that that sounds like a lawyer trying to be like, um, wow, pretty fucked up of you, you know, and, um, <laughs> and she's just not having a bar of it. So 
Yeah. Whatever. Um, oh well, sh- should we should we uh, skip off the news and jump quickly into a bit of beef and soul pleasure? Yeah, I got one other headline. I don't know if this one's going to be interesting or not, but I got uh, Emily yeah, Blunt, Dwayne Johnson's studio team. I didn't know those two ran a studio team together, but apparently they do. Um, <laughs> yeah. For new action adventure about Pinkerton detective, Blunt is set to star in and produce a movie. So if you don't know yeah, who right. the Pinkertons are, they're like an agency that was started. I I feel like this. I could be wrong about this, but I feel like um, they started yeah, in, off in like the eighteen hundreds. In the eighteen hundreds, as like the people who would hunt down and recover like escaped slaves. Like they are the fucking worst people, <laughs> um, and a fucking terrible well, it's, company. It's a, it's a company that still exists today. It's like a yeah, private exactly. detective agency. Yeah, the Pinkerton Detective Agency. So, uh, yeah, he was a Scottish detective and spy, and they, uh, they've they always been about uh, all this type of surveillance. Um, they, they, they'll, like, Sorry, get in... Sorry, so what was the headline? They're making a movie about the Pinkertons. They, so, that's right. They, they used to do a lot of... Um, uh, they used to do a lot of like anti-union activities. So, like, if a union was having a strike, you'd hire the Pinkertons to escort... Um, the uh, picket crossing workers through the crowds and like help your company keep operating at the expense of the union people. So they're like huge pieces of shit. And uh, it's pretty <laughs> worrying that like um, this, that I just feel like I'm kind of interested to watch this movie because I feel like Emily Blunt's, Emily Blunt's character is I think the first female Pinkerton detective or something like that. Um, and and I feel like it? it's going to have, it's, it's produced by Amazon Studios um, so obviously Dwayne Johnson, The Rock is going to be starring alongside, but, um, or actually, sorry, he's producing. I'm not sure if he'll be in it, but he's usually in most things that he produces. I don't know any of the other details about, um, about cast or anything, but I feel like this is going to be a huge, like, um, uh, people just hate to see a girl boss winning kind of like, um, right. Sherlock Holmes adaptation about someone that in real life was probably doing some pretty heinous shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and they'll yeah, well, be like, I mean, wow, you're just being a huge misogynist for not enjoying this film. Like, okay, well, we'll yeah, see. I don't know. <laughs> so, so what, what, does the Pinkins, do the Pinkins have anything to do with this movie? Are they sponsoring it or did you say that? Pro- fucking probably, but it would surprise me if they <laughs> weren't hired by Amazon to strike break or some shit. Like, Fuck it's, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of All bad right. names being tossed around behind the scenes on this <laughs> film, so I, I'm I'm kind of morbidly curious about it. But anyway, so that's uh, that's on the horizon. Yeah, right. It's also a weird thing that they just were in Jungle Cruise together, and it seems like this has nothing to do. I with I was that, about to except, say, like, yeah, I was for when I read this headline, I was like, wait, is Jungle Cruise about the fucking Pinkertons? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the fuck's going on, but no, it's just a completely different film. The two of them met some production secret, company or secretly something. Secretly pro-capitalist, yeah, ultra right wing. Oh well, they're yeah, I'm I'm sure. No, they're both huge liberals, which <laughs> makes sense. That's why they're like, yes, yeah. more female Pinkerton detectives. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that sounds like it's going to be shit. Anyway, all right, I think that's it for news. That's it for news. Should we launch in a bit of? Have you got any beefness or pleasure? I do. I've got a couple things. All right, well, let's 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 start let's start the music, and we'll I'll will see you in thirty seconds. Business, pleasure, 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 business, pleasure. 
business. Pleasure. Business pleasure. Pleasure. Business pleasure. 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 We engage in some in some recreational, pleasurable activities where we watch movies for our own personal enjoyment. So this is that we segment. We like to do a little bit of viewing. <laughs> so, what have you watched, brother? Well, you go first. Cool. All right. Uh, I watched Zodiac recently. Dear Editor. This is the murderer of the two teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman and the girl on the 4th of July. I want you to print this cipher on the front page of your paper. He wants his code in the afternoon edition. Ray Smith, don't you have a cartoon to finish? The Zodiac Killer has come to San Francisco. Another letter. School children make nice targets. He gave himself a name. Greek. Morse code, astrological signs. This guy's used them all. I like killing people because man is the most dangerous animal of all. How does one do that? I like puzzles. I do them a lot. Got any hard suspects? About uh, 90 an hour. I'm up to around 500. You got four crime scenes. Not a single usable print. You can't think of this case in normal police terms. He's breaking the pattern. Glenna said you were a cartoonist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing at a gun range? I just want to help. What are you, some kind of boy scout? Eagle scout, actually, first class. Well, I've been thinking. Oh, God, Sam, what's the There's no evidence, Robert. What do you mean there's no evidence? You have him seen with the ciphers, the military blueprints, the bloody knife. All circumstantial. Why do you need to do this? Because nobody else will. Dave, you made a mistake! Get away from the window. Paul, are you okay? No. Why'd you do it? You put your face out there for him to see. Hello? Who is this? I'd never seen I'd never seen Zodiac before, and I suppose one of the reasons why I hadn't really bothered was because like I know that they didn't catch the Zodiac killer. <laughs> so I thought, <laughs> yeah, like, you sort of know how it is. What's, yeah. what's the point of like yeah. yeah, you know how it is but like it was a great time. I really enjoyed it. Um so yeah. it's set in it's 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 mostly set in the sixties and the seventies. It's about the Zodiac killer who was a like f- a famous serial killer in California in like the late 60s and early 70s. Yep. And uh, Mark Ruffalo plays the cop that's trying to find him. And Jake Gyllenhaal plays a cartoonist at the newspaper who is like investigating this stuff. And he he's like really into his like crime fiction and his puzzles and shit. And he like uh, becomes very fascinated with the case and then ends up in real life going on to write a book about the case. Mm. where he like interviewed different cops from different jurisdictions all over America to piece together all this evidence that apparently hadn't really been pieced together before. Apparently, this D- David Fincher Zodiac movie is one of the most true-to-life, like accurate crime movies because mm. it's based on real case files and most of the shit that happened in the movie apparently uh, is reasonably similar to what happened with the actual case. Yeah, he didn't have to dramatize It was really interesting, man. Yeah. It was so interesting. Yeah, and so most of... Uh, 
it basically shows you all of the crime work going up to it, and it poses like one most likely person that the the writer of this book, this cartoonist dude, clearly believed to be the actual Zodiac killer. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really fun. It's it's worth watching. It's it's got a great like 60s, 70s kind of period to it that I'm a sucker for. It's got an awesome soundtrack. Uh it's really exciting and suspenseful. It's like two and a half hours long, but it doesn't really feel like it drags. It's it's worth watching. I really I really enjoyed it. Um Yeah. yeah I think my favorite too. bit about it was probably like the aesthetic and the period aspect to it. Mm. So yeah, I, I mean, that's that's, some that's great what I would go in for. In it. I oh, really yeah, liked the, the performances, yeah. Um, and there's a I, really creepy bit when he goes down into the ba- into someone's basement to uh, ask them some questions that I think was my favorite scene in the whole movie. Yep, yep. Yeah, I, I actually had... I sort of um, did myself a disservice by watching that before... Like, I watched that on YouTube a while ago before I, I watched <laughs> the film. Um, so, what? yeah, that, that scene, the basement scene... Oh, so the, I had, oh, right. I had okay. seen that, um, and maybe it was a video essay about I it. I didn't realize it's a famous scene. I just really liked yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, or maybe it's just this video essay that I've watched about the editing in it or something. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. So I remember kind of spoiling it for myself. Yeah. So when I got to that bit in the movie, I was like, oh yeah, I've seen this already. <laughs> well, it's it's great. So like, not to not to not to spoil it, the Zodiac killer thing, but like, it's not like the movie ends with like, oh, and I guess we'll never know. The movie like basically like gets ninety percent of the way to being like. It's one writer's like opinion of the case, right? So it's a bit of like a not like a biased narrator type thing. It yeah. kind of is, but it's like because it's based on that guy's book. The, the movie like presents one guy as being like the per, the candidate for being the Zodiac killer that this dude reckons is the fucking Zodiac killer. Yeah, and then the movie kind of wraps up with like a bit of like here's how law, the law sort of dropped the ball on this guy. Here's yeah, how circumstances yeah, yeah. came about that meant that they were never able to trial him. Sort yep. of thing. I mean, I don't know how much fact there is to that bit because it's it's famously a cold case that no one's ever solved. Yeah. So they. Um, yeah, it was worth was worth a, watching. I reckon. I I was looking up this story because I just I remembered when you started talking about it that last year uh, on the twelfth of December there was a ABC News article saying uh, the headline was Zodiac Killer Code cracked by Australian mathematician Sam Blake more than fifty years after first murder. And it was like this That's guy crazy. in Melbourne and a couple of other cryptologists that were recognized by the FBI for solving. So he would write these like A4 pages of like these just messages. Weird symbols and shit. Weird symbols and stuff. And he was using a, yeah, a, a, a really kind of quite complicated um, cipher. And I remember, I won't go into it now, but basically uh, this ABC News article, just Google the headline, um, goes into like how he basically just kind of randomly stumbled upon it. Um and it's like quite a it sort of makes sense when you when you see it but yeah he he um it was really interesting hearing him talk about this process and like it was one of those things where i was like oh, why are you still cool. working on this like were you and i think it's just <laughs> cryptologists just look at that kind of shit in their um in their downtime like you know try and like as a hobby yeah, solve yeah. for existing cases and stuff so it was interesting um Oh, yeah, that's so cool. it's fun that people are still working on it like that much that much later Obviously, yeah oh it's so that, interesting sad that he killed people but yeah um, I thought it was weird seeing that crop up again. Andrew, <laughs> uh, controversially coming out anti-murder. Yeah, it's really cool. Like, it's there's only good things about this. I think. <laughs> I think my favorite um, thing about it was the murder. Actually, yeah, that's right. Yeah, those that I love. I love seeing people get stabbed on picnic blankets. There and wouldn't so this be a was movie the film for me. 
There wouldn't be a movie if he hadn't killed people. There's no True. such movie as the Zodiac nice guy. <laughs> True. You you can't argue with All right. that. All right, you're uh, up, boy. Lightning round. Okay. What do you got? I got two. Uh, I finished watching um, Chernobyl, the miniseries, HBO. Oh, fuck. The H- How good is that? It's really, really great. Pleased to report that the situation in Chernobyl is stable. In terms of radiation, I'm told it's the equivalent of a chest X-ray. No, Chernobyl is on fire. And every atom of uranium is like a bullet, penetrating everything in its path. Metal, concrete, flesh. Now Chernobyl holds over three trillion of these bullets. Some of them will not stop firing for 50,000 years. Tell me how to put it out. You are dealing with something that has never occurred on this planet before. I'd highly recommend going in on it. I kind of put it off for ages because I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was in the right um, frame of mind to watch it uh, just because I knew what it was about. Was there anything that made you hesitate about it specifically? Just like, I think I didn't want to see something that was about something so horrific, but, and I, people had told yeah. me like, um, no, it's not really about, you don't really have to endure too much of that kind of shit. Um, it's more about like the bureaucratic processes that, that it goes under. I would compare it actually, funnily enough, similarly to Zodiac and maybe Mindhunter, it feels a lot like a crime series because, yeah. Um, Something goes wrong at the start, so it's almost like it starts with the murder, and then it's about people coming, like investigators coming in and working out like what the fuck actually happened, and also then dealing with the consequences and and trying to prevent further catastrophe. Um, yeah, it's beautifully shot. It's really high budget. Uh, it does my favorite thing when series do that they're based in places that aren't in the Western speaking or the English speaking world, where it they cast mostly British people. Um, but they don't make them do some fucking stupid accent. And so all of these people are just speaking with like British or Scottish or Northern kind of um, great British accents uh, with few exceptions, like Stellan Skarsgård, who I think is Swedish. And, um, and, and the performances are so much better for it because there's none of that distracting bullshit. And you just forget that it's like, you know, yeah, I don't know. I I love that when, when series do that, I think that should be mandated. I don't mind it. I think, I think it's always a weird choice because on the one hand, like, the other option is to have everything in Russian, which yeah. for obvious reasons, most of the time is not the most consumer-friendly way to do it. Yeah. Um, uh, another, th- another, another way you could do it is to do that hammy, like English actors doing British, uh, do English actors I doing Russian that. accents. We had an argument on a, in a group chat with uh, uh, sister podcast, Spoiler, Spoiler Boys', Boys. Yeah. Brody. <laughs> Uh, my friend Pat, that does a podcast called Spoiler Boys, uh, has been on this a few times. His mate Brody was saying that he would have preferred to have all the Russian accents. Yeah, which I think which is, is a wild, wild take. Me. I mean, actually, I think if it's done well, I almost agree with him. I think the Russian accents are great, and like no, I, I think I don't the only time it's like yeah, I, I don't care. I I think best case for me would be if you get Russian actors that can speak English. 
Right. I think that's the only point in time when it's okay is when the character is Russian or, you know, character is Eastern European and they're speaking mm. English with an accent because their character is but speaking like, I English almost, with an accent. I almost don't hate it. I don't mind when British people do American accents. I don't mind it when American people do British accents. I, uh, I hate it when, you, when they I wouldn't do mind. It if it's done well, though. but if it's... Yeah. It, it's got to be done well. Like, yeah. there was like Kate Blanchett in the Indiana Jones 4. I don't know if you remember that, but I Kate Blanchett yeah. plays a Russian in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom yeah. of the Crystal, Crystal Skull, and it's just painful. Every every performance like that to me, and I guess I'm not picking up on the bad ones, but I it's very distracting. And the worst example recently was Kenneth Branagh in Tenet, and they all feel a bit like that to me. I think it's just so yeah, distracting because yeah. I'm like, I've seen you do Shakespeare. You can't do a Russian accent and convince me. You just can't. Well, I think and, the problem with that was that often so with those ones, they don't need to be Russian. That's right. I, I hate but that. But in most this case, like they no do reason. need to be Russian because the Russians yeah. fucking done did it. Yeah. So like, oh, I think Ukrainian. Did you enjoy it? Right? I don't know if that's there's a historical distinction there or whatever. I, I, don't I know. loved I thought it. it was, I don't. I, Jared Harris is as Alexi and Cameron Who's say that? one of my guys. He's the main character. In it. <laughs> um, he's also All in right. Mad Men, so he plays Valery Legasov. And um, I think anytime oh, I see him on screen, he's a yeah, he's the, the, the main nuclear scientist. Um, I yeah, think yeah. he's so fantastic and he really carries the show. I'd never I'd seen him as in Mad Men as Lane Price. Mm. He's also in The Crown. Um, I think he's fantastic. I'm so glad that he's kind of Fuck in yeah. more stuff because I really love him. I think Stellan Skarsgård as Boris Shabina is also incredible. Um, I think that the way that he brings a sort of... He comes... So... Um, you see uh, Valeri, the main character, like run up against so many um, self-interested bureaucrats that just don't listen to anyone because they're sort of trying to preserve their own reputation. And I think it does yeah. a really great job of establishing Stellan Skarsgård's character as one of those people. But then, because he's got such a gruff and abrupt manner at first, but then he really <laughs> is one of the few people to start sort of listening. And I think the warmth that he kind of brings... Or not warmth, but like yeah. the um, it's so satisfying to have someone that listens, even if on the exterior they look like everyone else. So I think his performance yeah. is really great, and Emily Watson playing um, Ilanka Komyuk, I think, is also fantastic. Everyone in this is great. It's a very high production show. Um, yeah. the way that it's it also handles... like a fascinating story as well, right? It is. Like, it's really. If you don't know much about it, like the the insane low tech and high tech solutions and shit they come up with and try along the route. Is so fucking like, yeah. Some of it's laughable, some of it's inspiring, some of it, it, it it's just all like, like the shit with the German robot is insane. Yeah, the shit where crazy. like the final solution is to end up sending like hundreds of people in in like a production line to just carry yeah, the shit out yeah. themselves is insane. The fact that people would volunteer to do that is insane. It's such an interesting story. It's definitely, yeah, and I think it's on it binge. Is. I assume you steal. I assume it's you on, stole it, but it's on. No, binge. I bought it on Blu-ray. It's on HBO Go. Um, sorry, Fox Foxtel Go. Um. But yeah, I I think it's on binge as well, um, and uh, it's it's um, it's really worth your time. So it's five episodes. It's also written by one of my favorite screenwriters, Craig Mazin. He does a script notes podcast. So he does a podcast called Script Notes. It's about screenwriting, and it was really interesting hearing him talk about some of the choices that he made in this before I watched it. Um, there was yeah, there right. weren't any spoilers, but um, I think it's 
interesting seeing a show like that where there's a real it's historical and at times it feels almost like documentary but there's a real narrative craft going on there that makes it very satisfying to watch um i just <laughs> oh, highly cool. recommend it i think it was great one of my favorite mini series that i've seen in ages it's been a favorite of mine for a while i'm glad you i'm glad you enjoyed it yeah yeah the other one that i'll chat about really briefly is um itumama tambien which is a 2001 film directed by afonso cuaron most people might not know cuaron but he directed gravity and roma most recently yeah he also directed harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban um in 2004 a mere three years after itumama tambien which is insane considering how fucking crazy sexual this film is it's one of the most uh <laughs> so yeah, someone, like we talked about someone so, from warner brothers watched that and was like i want that guy to do the harry potter literally because uh, i would have thought they would they would vet him and be like oh no we can't have this man direct it <laughs> you know what i mean um because yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. about it's a it's a mexican film two teenage boys so the slug line from letterbox is two teenage boys and an attractive older woman very judgmental. An attractive older woman embark on a road trip and learn a thing or two about life, friendship, sex, and each other. Um, Fuck yeah. It's sort of a... So it's very much a coming-of-age story, but I think what it does really magically is it mixes in this... It, it kind of smashes together these two boys coming of age with this um, woman that's at a very different life stage, sort of having a midlife crisis, um, and and then it, it does that in sort of a road trip format. Um so all of these factors sort of look and feel familiar, but have a real um, renewed kind of quality to them because the context is so different to what it normally is. Um, it's yeah, right. Got some really great performances by um, Gail Garcia Bernal, who people might know from uh, Babel and Amoris Peros, like a bunch of. Um, nah, uh, he was also in No, which is a Chilean film that I watched at uni. He's he's done a lot. Um, and a lot of uh, Hispanic films. So is, is this film in uh, Spanish or something as it's well? In, yes, it's in Spanish. Uh, it's also got Diego yeah, right. Luna, who people would now know from uh, Rogue One and If Beale Street Could Talk okay. and Elysium, a bunch of shit. And then uh, Maribel Verdu, who was the um, maid from Pan's Labyrinth. Um, yeah. So what was is, your favorite thing about this movie? What, where's, where is it set and what, what was your favorite thing about it? Well, so it's set in in Mexico. I think my favorite thing about it is um, the way that it... I, I think the way that you get this um, Maribel Verdu's character's perspective on these young boys growing older mm-hmm. while she is... So she's sort of keeping quiet about her own battles while she's watching these young men figure out how to navigate the world and each other and a little bit of that melodrama that comes from youth all in the context of like um a little bit of like sexual self-discovery and a little bit like these two teenage boys like super horny so they're always like thinking about rooting they've got like this stupid rule set that they live by about like um what is that you know kind of like what do you mean rooting what is that Right, great. Um, they've got like their their rule set that they live by about like um, never fuck over your friends, uh, get high every day. Like just they're kind of like drop kicks fuck in yeah. a way. They um, sound like my kind of boys. Yeah, but it's very much like slice of life. I think okay. My favorite thing about it actually is that um, it does these like very very 
unusual cuts where the scene will continue, but all of the sound abruptly cuts out. And then there's a narrator that speaks about a thing that is often not related directly to the scene, but might be like... um, so they'll be say they'll be eating at a cafe or something, and we'll f- yeah. uh, we'll sort of follow the waiter or that comes over and she'll like put their food down and then all of the sound will cut out, and um, it'll be like uh, as much as they were talking about this, um, Diego Luna was very distracted because he was only able to think about the fact that he wasn't sure he had this childhood memory that came up and he felt embarrassed about it and he was obsessing about that for most of the conversation so he wasn't really very present and then it'll talk about the waiter and how like um, she's been on shift for 10 hours and is very tired and she's about to go home to her family like at one point they encounter this family of fisher people and then it tells you what happens to those people over the course of their lives like how um, like in, the, in, the, in like a flash forward kind of thing? Yeah, but it flashes forward not just about the characters, that the main characters. It flashes forward to give you these really like broad stretching um, character insights from other people. And I think it just extends it beyond the scope of the story. And it just makes makes these... It gives the story this like universality and like a kind of transcendent nature that's that's as much as it's just a coming of age story about these two dumb people it really shows how all of these people's lives are interconnected in ways where they just briefly impact on each other and other people and then go their own separate ways and everyone does that with everyone you know Oh, um, so I really cool. liked that element about it. I'd highly recommend it. It's very difficult to find actually. I yeah, think I was going to say how did you watch it? On, uh, a friend lent me a Blu-ray, but it was like a weird distribution thing. They're not even sure how they managed to get it. So I think you can rent it through Amazon or Google Play. And what's or it just torrent it because it's impossible to find. Um, but yeah, that's it's spelled Y as in like and, like E2 Mama Tambien, um, 2001 film by Alfonso Cuaron. Would recommend that. Wouldn't recommend watching it with your parents. It's extremely horny. There's a lot of like very, 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 very <laughs> overt sex scenes. It's like we talked about The Handmaiden, for those of you who remember that episode, that Korean film. Fuck yeah. Um, it's highly sexual. This one is like the next most sexual film, I think. Um, yeah, <laughs> oh, very, God. very. But also great yeah, cinematography, right. lots of extended takes, very theatrical. So oh, when I you're doing that, that kind that of stuff. That sounds sick. It's very cool. It's a really cool film. And then, yeah, again, remind yourself, three years later, he directed Harry Potter 3. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Very, very <laughs> weird stuff. Um, no, so, yeah, that's that's, those, those are my two. I think they're both very cool. Yeah. Yeah, cool. All right. Um, time to launch into the movies. Yeah. So, which films are we doing right, this, cool. this week? Well, we got two. Well, we two said we features. we're trying to keep this short, but we've got two fucking movies. So, we'll see how we go. Um, yeah. First we'll movie we were going to do... Uh, is Shiver Baby. I think it's really great to like support females, particularly um, female entrepreneurs. Cool. In the future. <laughs> great. Yeah. Awesome. Danielle! Don't Danielle! Please don't yell. is here and her daughter Stephanie. Jessica. Whatever. You should really talk to her, you know? No. It's just a job. Darling. Hi, Hi, Hi Mom. I'm so sorry for your loss. No funny business with Maya. Thank you. You think everyone that's bi is experimenting? You have zero gaydar. Excuse me, kid. I lived through New York in the 80s. My gaydar is strong as a bull. You can't just like show up to like the after party for a shiva and like reap the benefits of the buffet. She lost so much weight. Yeah. You think she has an eating disorder? I'm just trying to major again. Feminism isn't exactly what I call a career. It's not my career, it's a lens. 
Max worked for your father years ago. Really? Just try to behave yourself today. I'm not gonna blow him in the bathroom. Why do you keep looking over there? Hi, I'm Kim Beckett. I don't think she's pretty. Malibu Barbie is not pretty. I mean, she's just like basic. You are such a good kid. Are you on drugs? No, just kidding. Is she okay? I already have a plan and a path, so... So you just study and uh, don't eat and go out with your beautiful friends, is that it? Is that your life? Yeah. Oh. Yes, that's my life. Wow, lucky you. Mom, 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 who died? So the first film we're doing is Shiver Baby, which is mm-hmm. a new comedy film written and directed by Emma Seligman, who yep. I'd never heard of before. This is actually her first, this is her debut film. So it's one of my, like, it's a favorite little genre. I don't know if it's a genre, but I really like seeing, like, debut written by, directed by movies, because I feel like yeah, they often have like, cool. a very unique voice. Yep. Um, so Sh- Shiver Baby is... It was it's just been released a few weeks ago in Australia, but now we're in lockdown in Canberra. So, like, I don't know how y'all are going to see it. So, we'll try not to spoil it, and then we'll give you a quick little sealed spoiler section that we'll give you the ending time for in the description, so you can skip over spoilers if you're interested in seeing this. Um, yeah. I can't on Letterboxd. It's not listing many places, so I, I don't know where you're going to watch it. So, you might just have to try and get it illegally. Um, no, yeah. F-Movies is a streaming <laughs> well, site I've been using a little bit recently to completely legally watch <laughs> copies of films out. I already own. <laughs> um, uh, in any case, uh, it's, it's about this young woman named Danielle who looks like she's in her early 20s. Uh, she comes from a Jewish she's family. College age, right? And yeah. She's got like college age. She works. Uh, the, the, the opening scene shows quite clearly that she is a sex worker of some description. She's seeing this like middle-aged dude and then has to go immediately from that like hookup thing where she's fucking this dude to a shiver, which is it looks to me like it's it's like a it's like a Jewish mourning ceremony. It's like a funeral, yeah. like a funeral service kind of. Uh, what, what do you call it? The after party for a funeral? A wake, but I think it's like um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I think, it's I think there are a lot more involved. I think you kind of spend a fair bit of time there. Much more so than in like European descended right. kind of culture. Yeah. In this case, for the purposes of what we see in the movie, it's basically a wake. It's like a big extended family thing where there's like a, a spread of food and all these relatives, who you, old fucks relatives that you have ne- never want to speak to. And the whole movie takes place after the opening scene where she's railing this guy. The whole movie takes place uh, within at the, this the shiver. shiver. Yeah. With this big yeah, extended so- Jewish family and her parents and all of her great aunts and uncles and things. And she didn't realize the dude that she fucks as a part of her sex work is also going to be at this shiver. Yeah. And like he walks in and their eyes lock and it's the most awkward shit ever. Yeah. <laughs> and the whole movie is essentially just an exercise in like very awkward, very, very, very tense family situations that just make your yeah. heart like flip. As you're watching it. So it's, a, it's like, like a um, dark comedy. I think it's easily though the most, I don't know about you, it's easily the most tense, most unsettling movie I've seen since Uncut Gems. It does have a almost a little bit of that 
that type of like Safdie brothers tension to it, right? Um, yeah, yeah, like so, to the point where I was I, to the point where I almost didn't, I almost didn't enjoy it as much as I should have because of how tense it made me feel. Like it was so good at right. making me feel tense that like I didn't enjoy it as much as if they dialed it back a bit. Which means it was right, very good at what it did. It was excellent at what it did, but I felt so I felt like it rode the line, the but it definitely was like pushing it. Because <laughs> well, yeah. she's at this shiver where like everyone there is like over the age of 70 and like her ex-girlfriend is there um, and her parents clearly either know about that and disapprove. I think they know about the fact that she's like dated women and don't approve and so that's this whole thing where they have to avoid talking about that i think they're approving but everyone keeps asking her like oh have you found a man yet like are you dating a boy and she's just the parents has to, like, don't approve they say it's a phase well i mean yeah okay but they're yeah, more yeah, accepting yeah. than the rest and of the family this might be. dude that's yeah. there that pays her for sex that no one else knows that she does is at this thing and her parents like strike up a conversation with this dude yeah. Uh, the script is really tight. I think the script is one of the one of the most impressive things about this for me is just like it's it's like a bottle episode of a TV show. The fact that the whole the whole movie takes place in this one little house full of all these like <laughs> full of all these old family full relatives. Of it feels people. very claustrophobic. Oh, it's yeah, really it's, claustrophobic. The script is very impressive, and it's almost like a horror movie. Did you enjoy parts, it? I think I, I did. Oh, yeah. I really liked it. Um, yeah, I think it does the, those, because like the whole time, so it's one of those things where it's constructed this environment where she can't leave, it's inescapable um, without making a massive scene or being really rude, but she also doesn't give a fuck about the person that's died, so she has no emotional investment there, it's just this thing that she has to endure, like performatively. Yeah. And then, yeah, so she's crammed in with these, her parents who her who she's not being honest with her ex who she's not being honest with and then her or i guess mostly she tells her ex the, the like the truth but her ex is like what the fuck's going on with you you're acting so weird and then um her her sugar daddy who she's also like she's been telling him that she's been studying law and that's why she needs the money and then she's actually studying arts and her family is like trying to tell everyone that she's got all these job opportunities lined up because they want to be keeping up with the joneses but then yeah, like, yeah. then she doesn't have fucking anything going on so she's been saying she's been babysitting and that's where she's getting the money from that was yeah, that was incidentally so one of my favorite lies. fucking scenes in the whole movie is the first scene where the sugar daddy walks in and locks eyes with Danielle. Yeah. And then the, her parents know him somehow. Like yeah, he works with awful. her dad. Yeah. And then they have this conversation where the two parents are talking to the sugar daddy trying to convince him that their daughter is studying law and has all these job opportunities and does babysitting and stuff and is quite successful. Yeah. And then Danielle and the sugar daddy are talking to the parents, trying to convince them that they don't know each other. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, both parties are lying to each other and they yeah. both think that they're succeeding. It's so fucking great. <laughs> but then, like, someone will say something and the other... And, and like, one other person will be like, um, oh... I thought it was this, and then they have to, and they realize they've just been caught out, and they have to like try yeah, and yeah, yeah. build, like patch up the the lie in some way that is believable, but it just yeah, falls yeah, apart yeah. really quickly. It's um, I'm trying to think yeah, of what so. I could compare it to. It's not because it's not like cringe comedy. It's almost that. It's it's, it's I feel like it's not cringe. Yeah. I, don't, I don't really enjoy cringe comedy. This is almost no, like a neither do I. I, 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 I don't know. It, it's 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 definitely not like painful to watch, but it's very tense. 
I think actually the uncut gems, like Safty Brothers type thing, is is probably like quite a screwball tragedy point. sort of thing. Yeah, and and where someone is like someone is trying to trying to save face desperately and to get themselves out of this situation that they've put themselves in, but is just not helping themselves. Yeah, yeah. They keep making it worse. And um, and yeah, I suppose I think in the way that, that well chaos, that, that that uncontrolled chaos. Yeah, and things keep you just. You think you finally sorted the situation out, and then you get some curveball thrown at you again that just fucks it all <laughs> up. Um, yeah, so I yeah. thought it was yeah, I thought it was a great series of performances. So Rachel Sennott is in it; she's the main character. Um, I think she did a pretty good job. Uh, I actually thought um, the ex played by uh, Molly Gordon was my favorite. I think I'd she was a real standout performer. She's in Booksmart. I'd seen her. That's it. Yeah, she was in Booksmart. Yeah. It was driving me nuts the whole time I watched the movie. Like, who the, where the fuck have I seen this person before? Yeah. She was quite good, um, yeah. Um, something something else that struck me about this movie is it's a very tight 90 minutes. Mm. Which, which is, you I don't, think you don't, it would you have struggled going any longer than that. I, I think it really, yeah, like, yeah. it didn't outstay its welcome by any means, but I think... If it had tried to push for another, because like what happens in these types of films is that this, the tension ebbs and flows, and I think if it had ebbed one more time, I would have been like, "Oh, let me off yeah. this fucking ride," you know? Yeah, but oh, it's actually it's seventy just, yeah, seventy-eight minutes. Yeah, it's, it's very very tight. very tight, and it was a budget of two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, there's a That's really sick. good. I'll try and link. I'll link the podcast episode in the description because I can't quite remember which podcast it was. But I know there was an interview with the director where she gets. Uh, it's directed by Emma uh, Emma Seligman. She gets right yeah. down into the weeds on, um, uh, like how she used the budget and talks about like sourcing the van that the family arrives in and stuff. Really interesting, like uh, perspective on. Um, getting right down into the the, the nitty gritty on directing the movie, so um, that's that's oh, an man. interesting interesting watch or listen. Uh, fucking, uh, what's the name of the dude who plays the dad? The dude who plays the dad, Fred Melamed, very is so fucking funny. Um, Jesus he's really Christ, great. he's so f- fucking painfully. <laughs> <laughs> that the, the dad energy, the the parents energy coming off him. Like I, yeah. I don't want to be too real for a moment here, uh, but um, the uh, dad being so painfully fucking unstoppably helpful to the point yeah. where everyone hates him for it <laughs> yeah. is so yeah. real for me. Yeah, I mean, and I know my dad well. listens to this. My mum, my mum is one of those people who is like very, very, very uh, unswayingly helpful and just yeah, tries to be yeah. as helpful as she possibly can be to the point where sometimes you're like, oh my god, yeah, <laughs> just like, just leave me alone, just leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, parents. Yeah. I was so, just about to say, I think my favorite thing about the parents this might capture be the that parents. energy so well. Yeah, Fred Melamed and Polly Draper is the dad and the mum. Yeah, really, really and, good. There's a bit where um, there's a bit where Danielle's character like collapses on the floor, and every single person in the shiver is looking at her while she's collapsing on the floor. Oh, like God. I can't remember whether she's crying or she's just completely yeah, emotionally overwhelmed by the yeah. situation. Um, and everyone is looking at them, and her parents are just continuing to just talk to her, and like, and it's like, oh, just shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Just, <laughs> just yeah, I know. Get her out of that situation. And the fact it's that they crazy. just unashamedly just like keep dealing with the situation as if everyone's not there. Just oh I know. man, it was, it's so uncomfortable. Um, I, I so uncomfortable. Worth, about, definitely worth watching this one. It's really good if you can. Yeah, I, I want to quickly talk about the sound because I think part of it, part of this film. 
and I think there's an interesting connection between this film and the next one that we'll talk about, um, is that yeah. it, this uses horror movie tropes, in uh, especially in the sound design, because I think there's certain moments, and it's those those like catching people's eyes across the room moments in this where it's accompanied by yeah, like yeah. like bit of a get low, out kind of vibe like low strings you know what i mean like those like horror tone yeah, yeah, yeah. musical elements um and and the idea is like avoid that that person you know as much as you can but sometimes you'll be trapped in a room with them and there's actually no way that you can go <laughs> um and it and i think it's so funny the way that it uses these yeah. like horror heuristic cues to kind of like make you feel tension even though it's funny but it's like oh god it feels so terrible you know being Absolutely. trapped in these oh, man. fucking situations so much of this movie is just expressions shared with people across the across the other side of rooms, and it's so good every single time. The dude yep. who plays the sugar daddy, um, I think he's Danny DeFerrari. Danny yeah, DeFerrari. Yeah. I'd never heard of this fucking guy. He gives this like pants shitting look as soon as he walks in and sees this dude. Like he's like he's a bit of a bedraggled kind of middle aged dude. It reminds me of that gif from Always Sunny where um, the two guys catch each other's eyes across the bar. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that dude is his facial expressions are so fucking funny in this movie. Yeah, the bit with the really van good. at the end of the movie is so fucking funny. It, it it's worth watching. It, this is a, this is a good comedy, and I think it's a good comedy to watch in a big room. So after yep. the lockdown's finished, or if you've got a few housemates who want to get together and watch this, it's worth worth watching for sure. Do you want to call yeah. it there for that yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's pretty good. All right, uh, cool. Highly highly recommended. Um, and I, yeah, and maybe, maybe Uncut it. Gems is like the, the, the touch point. If you enjoyed Uncut Gems, you'll probably enjoy this. It's a little less insane, like energy. Yeah. Very Uncut small Gems, scale but. family domestic type situation, but it's yeah. similarly chaotic and all the shit that happens with like her ex-girlfriend being there and no one wanting to know that it's her ex-girlfriend and the sugar daddy being there and her parents not knowing that she's a sex worker and all, all that stuff yeah. just like comes to a head in such exciting, hilarious ways that it's very fucking stressful and it's chaotic and dramatic and funny in a way that's worth watching. Yeah, and I think the 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 other parallel, just really quickly with the Uncut Gems, is that she is a very flawed character and sometimes doesn't help herself. She's, she just can't help herself but yeah. do these, but like just make something worse and you just watch it being like, no, you couldn't, you almost had it. You were almost free yeah, or yeah, out yeah. and then you just do something that fucks it up again. It's very frustrating, yeah. but I, it's really nice seeing like the this The bit in the bathroom with her phone, flawed. it's like, what the with fuck the phone, are you doing I know, that for? like, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> oh, um, man. Very cool. Um, no, yeah, de- really, really good. Definitely worth watching. I don't know if it was as funny. It's one of those ones maybe that make, enjoys, make, clearly enjoys making you squirm a bit. It really does, but like, yeah. It's not in a cringe thing, way, but just tension, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so that's uh, that's Shiver Baby. I don't know yeah. how y'all are going to watch it. It's worth stealing, but if you, and when it comes on a streaming service, by all means, jump on it. Should we move on to the next one? Yeah, so the next film that we had is Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. I didn't see you at school today. I went to the doctor. What's wrong? Girl problems. Don't you ever just wish you were a dude? All the time. This is the most magical sound you will ever hear. Down beneath the ashes and stones. I'm just not ready to be a mom. Where else could you go? 
nowhere in Pennsylvania. I think you should try another place. You going to New York? What are you doing there? Seeing family and stuff. Used to be on this Who came with you today? My cousin. Do you have a place to stay tonight? I know you came from far away. I'll figure it out. This area's closed. Do not sleep here. Where's the rest of the money? La, 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 la. I want to make sure that you're safe. La, 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 la. I know this is hard. So, uh, Never Really, Sometimes Always is a drama written and directed by Eliza Hitman. I'd never heard of her before. This is her, th- this is her third movie. Um, it's uh, essentially about uh, two young women. I think they're sort of 17, Autumn yes. and Skylar, played by Sydney Flanagan and Talia Ryder. Uh, and they live in a small town in Pennsylvania. Autumn finds out quite early on in the movie that she's pregnant and she cannot get an abortion without her parents' consent in Pennsylvania. So the movie is kind of like a road trippy type movie where Autumn and her cousin Skylar have to go on a trip to New York City to get an abortion there where they can get it without parental consent because Autumn has a bit of a tricky, problematic home life and she doesn't want to have to tell her parents that she's pregnant. So that's the whole movie. And I I watched a bit of an an introductory kind of interview or maybe it was a a review where they were talking about this being like a, a journey that women have gone on for centuries, going back to like times where like abortions weren't a lot, maybe not centuries, whatever, like for, for decades back, going back to like, uh, I think the early 20th century where abortions weren't legal in Ireland, but they were legal in England. And so like women would go on trips to England for similar sorts of reasons. Right. Uh, and of course it's problematic in all across the U S for similar sort where like abortion laws aren't constant. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a very, it's a very like prescient, topic at the moment and i think this movie deals with it very tactfully and in a very interesting compelling engaging way and in a way that sort of shows you this person's view without like ramming anything down your throat like i think these two characters are so likable and so like lovably flawed in their own way that you like you sort of you sort of get the message that this film is going for without really worrying about it if you know what, without 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 the author, like almost with almost without the author making like a clear intent to like explain to you her opinions on like abortion law or whatever, you, you come to your yeah. conclusions through watching this movie in a way where I, 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 think, I think it's it, quite tactfully and quite nuancedly done. I think it really is given to you through Autumn's perspective. It's very much focused on yeah. her experience of the process. And so it's not trying to give you like a, you know, broad scathing overview of the whole process or the whole Yeah, it's bureaucracy. like a very personal story. Yeah, but at the same time, I heard Eliza Hitman describe this as um, both a road trip movie and as like a, or maybe it was an interviewer, but it, someone described it as a road trip movie and also a bureaucratic odyssey. And I think that's a good way of thinking yeah. about this because... At the same time as the film has these other elements, um, it is those two things. Like, it is very much about, 
going on this like extended journey, having to make your own way in an unfamiliar environment, these two cousins, and also yeah, yeah. battling through the, the processes and the barriers that, um, that these young women have to go through in order to, to, to access reproductive rights in, in the United States. And it sort of, yeah. it does let you make your own decisions about those things. Um, without really it sort of just presents them as as intended but but in in some ways i think in other ways you can read between the lines and or maybe this is just me projecting my opinion on it but um i i thought that the the hoops that they had to jump through and the the barriers that autumn encounters to get this health care is like horrifying like really really yeah absolutely it's really re- uncomfortable it's, it's- I wouldn't say confronting, but it definitely, you feel so fucking awful for her the whole way through the movie. Like, yeah. uh, I remember, I mean, Mary, who was on our previous episode, watched this and spoke about it on the previous episode. Yeah. And was saying right. that you just want to give this, you just want to give this girl a hug the whole way through the movie. Cause like mm. most of the time through the movie, every single adult she interacts with does not give a fuck about her. And I, yep. I feel like the movie makes a point of that is that like every single time she interacts with any adult in her hometown and then in New York City and everywhere along the way, no one cares about her and no one is trying to help her at all. They just care about themselves in like a very, very obvious way that just me- means that she comes across as very jaded and very, I don't know about cynical because she doesn't often say very much. But I think I, I, I see what yeah. you're saying and I agree. I think that there is a general undercurrent of like uncaringness that she constantly comes, the two of them constantly come up against. But it's almost like a realistic, like I'm stuck with this situation. There's no point investing because none of these fucks give a shit about me anyway. Sort of, sort of like a very angsty kind of teenage kind of feeling. I think it's less that no one gives a shit about her because like a lot of the care workers are actually quite like compassionate. Um, or they, they That's at what least I mean. try I was gonna, gonna build to up to like the one woman in the Manhattan clinic that actually talks to her and goes through the questionnaire with her is the first person where Isaac actually gives a shit and she clearly gets quite overwhelmed by that. Yeah, yeah. I think th- I, uh, the way that I kind of perceived it was that she is constantly up against this wall of the violence of the structures that she's within, right? So she yeah, can't, yeah. Like the procedure, this is like mild spoiler, but kind of just happens midway through the film. The procedure is going to take an extra day than she thinks. And so she needs to find accommodation because they're really strapped for money. And it's like, what what do you do? Like as a young person, you don't have any fucking source of income. You've brought an amount of money that you're rapidly burning through because New York's so fucking expensive. And yeah, exactly. someone sort of offers her help, but she doesn't take it because she sort of thinks she'll find her own way. And then like they end up trying to stay in the subway and then they get booted out of the subway because the subway hates homeless people. And so they don't want homeless people staying there overnight. So that's why they close it from one to 4am. You know, it's like just constantly the violence of these structures is, is overwhelming at times. It's a great critique. I think about like how much extra harm it does rather than good to make it harder to access these things. Oh, totally. But it's yeah. just like look at the look at the look at the situation that these people have put themselves in, and the the the, the shitty things they've had to deal with just to access like basic healthcare. No, it's yeah, it's, it's definitely definitely eye opening. 
It's quite slow. I would say this yeah. film is a very slow, like a slow core kind of movie that almost reminded me a bit of a Nomad Land in its pace. Yeah, okay. If that makes sense. Not a fair comparison because I enjoyed this and I didn't enjoy Nomad Land. But it's mm. it's a very slow, maybe like a uh, you were never really here kind of uh, kind of thing. What was that movie with the the, fa- the mother, the father and daughter that live in the national park that we watched? Like, 50 uh, leave no ago? trace. Leave no trace. I just feel like I feel like there's a, there's a genre of like modern dramas about people disconnected from society, and they're always very slow <laughs> and like a very. Yeah, laid back, dramatical kind of thing that you've got to be prepared for. You've got to go in being like, all right, this isn't like a thrill ride. This is like a chilled out vibe of a movie. Yeah, there's a couple. And as of long things as you're in that, on that, this is cool. There's a couple of things that I think contribute heavily to that sensation. Um, Eliza Hitman, I think, took a very. Um, she has a very scarce amount of dialogue in the film. Um, it's very minimalist. Yeah. Often yeah, the yeah. relationship between the cousins is completely nonverbal. And I think that lets you, it, it does two things. I think it lets you imprint your own perspective on what they must be thinking a lot of the time. And it sort of lets you try and guess at, at how they're feeling. But it also keeps a barrier up between you and Autumn because you want to ask her so many questions and Skylar as well, like as his cousin, you want to yeah, ask her yeah. so many questions about like, what's happened? How did you get here? Why, why is there any way that I can help or, or anything that have you considered doing this thing? And you don't have, it's like, it's not giving you that type of relationship with the character. She's very closed off. She's very private. And it's great because they clearly have those conversations. Like there's, there's a scene early on where Skylar works out that Autumn is pregnant at the supermarket but yeah. it's like her asking Autumn questions about, oh, what, what did the, why did you go to the doctor? And what did you go to the doctor for? And what were they saying? And why is it that you couldn't go to work yesterday? And all this stuff. And then it sort of cuts. And then the next scene is like them them planning where they can go and get this abortion to happen. Yeah. So like, there's clearly these big, long conversations that they've had that the filmmaker cuts. And I suppose it is so that you feel less of an intimate, an intimate connection to these characters. Maybe it's also that you really, you don't get, as much of an understanding as of like what this person's voice is and how they think. Cause the other one was like exactly their plan and about the plan of their trip. You, you never see them talk about that. They just go. And there's clearly a fucking conversation that happens, but you don't get those long form conversations in the movie. I, yeah. It's interesting that you're assuming that that does happen because I mean, the other question would be like, is, do they just have that type of largely unspoken relationship like obviously they need to talk at some points but you know i think skylar the cousin is often like she seems to be very very loyal and um to the point where she uh endures something quite confronting at in order to uh, facilitate autumn getting this procedure and um yeah and so she's clearly dedicated to the well-being of, of her cousin um, but they don't really discuss it, uh, and and I just like I don't know. I think it's interesting that you're assuming that they do that they have these kind of talks behind the scenes because it also could just be that that's the type of relationship. And I think that's I'm not saying that you're um, wrong about that, but I'm saying there's a lot of interpretive. It, it, this lets a lot of the backstory just be left up to your imagination and you're just I suppose my point is either way that gets left out and I kind of like it's it's almost I almost get a vibe of like the director giving the audience credit 
and uh, giving the audience credit for like being intelligent enough to not need those conversations. Like, yeah, I don't when, think she had when Skylar gets the first hint. No, not at all. But you totally keep up. It's, but it's it's a, it's a re- reasonably simple plot. But like my point is like we didn't need the three minutes of detective work that it took Skylar to work out that Autumn is pregnant. We saw her ask like one question. And yeah. then that was the end of the scene, and we're like, "Oh, well, she she clearly figured it out from that." Like, yeah, there's no yeah. there's no tension yeah. there's no tension there, or like it building up to like a big reveal. It's just it's just like, well, no, she she figured it out, and that's the relationship they have. And the, as soon as the audience clues on to what they're talking about, it moves on. I think something else that that's getting at. I agree, and I think something else that that is getting at is that is that um, there is a universal shared experience that I think most of the women watching this and definitely all of the female characters that we see in the film share, um, where mm. you sort of understand the way, I mean, like, you know, when she's like, oh, I went to the doctor f- and her cousin's like, what for? I think Autumn says girl problems. And it's like, yeah. well, there's clearly more going on there, but it's, it's that type of, um, uh, unspoken, like, I know what you mean when you say those words, but it's you yeah. haven't said it explicitly, you know. And I think that a lot of the film relies on that that sort of um, what's that like unconscious, like the subconscious uh, language that 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 a lot of women share. And I think that feeds well into the other element that this film has for me the the other main f- sort of phenomenon, which is um, the way that it handles male figures and the presence of men in particular. Um, yeah, it's. I, I think like what Eliza said that she wanted to create an. So someone asked about like um, antagonists and protagonists, and she sort of said rather than having a conventional antagonist, she wanted to create an atmosphere of hostility towards these young women, and then to examine how that atmosphere that most women encounter every day in their lives affects like their relationships and what they do and how it shapes people. And I think that that is really interesting because you see a few men in this, in this script, one man in particular. Well, the dude on the bus for for, for a start is a bit of a recurring character. Exactly. Uh, Played by um, Theodore. I think it was Theodore Pellerin was how his name was pronounced. His name is Jasper. Um, Particularly him because he's the one that impacts, I guess, the most, on screen, on on the two of them, maybe the other yeah. one being well, uh, Autumn's father. That was a really good scene for me, and I, I assume this is probably what we're getting to. But I really liked that because I suppose on the surface that feels like a very relatable situation for a lot of men, being like, "Oh, you see someone and you strike up a conversation." But we've just spent like forty-five minutes with these two women knowing that they're in the most traumatic fucking stressful situation where it's like, this is not the time or the place, dude. And he just like barrels on with this like kind of flirty conversation where he strikes up a conversation with these two women on the bus. Uh, And it's so painful. On the one hand, it's painful because like what he's saying feels so innocent on the surface, but it's, it's like, yeah, no, but you're clearly just flirting and clearly like in this very creepy very creepy way creeping on these two women who are way too young for you. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I just feel like it, this is a very like hyper, uh, hyper realized version of events, but I feel like that's kind of exaggerated, kind of relatable to a lot of dudes watching this movie being like, Oh yeah, I'm sure I'm sure I've been that dude to some degree at some point. 
being yeah, like this yeah. dude where the woman's like, not the time or place, man. Just fucking leave me alone. And the whole time you're watching it, you're like, Christ, just leave them alone. Because you feel he so bonded to these so two many women factors. on yeah, So many signs. His, um, I think it's really interesting. This reminds me of a lot of the way that um, the men act in Promising Young Woman, where they are so... Yeah unrelenting and so persistent despite being met with so many signs that it's not welcome um and i yeah. think it this is a lot more subtle i think than um the the men in promising young woman and it's never explored to the same extent but it just gives you that the the cues for you to pick up on the fact that this guy is um is is ignoring all of the signs that particularly skylar is is giving off and just persisting regardless that's what it is I feel like on paper it doesn't seem like a creepy scene, but the way that he plays it, his persistence is really un- 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 unsettling and uncomfortable and like insensitive. Yeah. I think it's maybe I, I, a better way to put it, it, it cuz it's yeah. not like he's doing anything very explicit or creepy. It's just it's just the fact that he's being completely insensitive to how she feels at all. She is just like any woman and he doesn't give a fuck. He's just like making his yeah. move. Yeah. When I was listening to an interview Eliza said that she wanted him to his character thinks that he is being charming and yeah and you get you totally get that yeah he just thinks but she said like but of course no woman wants to be like talked to or especially like touched by some random guy on a fucking bus and then, you know, the added element of, like, they're on a bus on a long trip, so they're now stuck with him. So they can't be too... It's like, you, you I, I totally... I immediately had this thought of, like, oh, God, I'd be telling him to, like, go fuck himself. But it's like, no, you don't want to do that because you don't want to create this hostile presence that you're trapped in a fucking room with for however many hours you have to be on this bus with. So they just have to be polite to him. And, yeah. you know, you see so many times the, these young women taking the path of least resistance and men using that to their advantage and just pushing yeah. themselves. It's very, very upsetting. Yeah, it, it's very confronting. That, that, that social dynamics bit of it is quite confronting. It's probably the least, the least like, subject matter-wise confronting bit about the whole movie, but I found that quite full-on to think, like, especially since Mary was telling me that that's like, a very accurate representation of what it's like to be a teenage girl in, in society yep. around most dudes. She just said that, like, that, that like, mirrors, mirrors situations that, like, many women that she knows have had, and it's a very relatable situation to be in. Just, like, yeah. wishing these people would just leave you alone. Yeah, it's just... yeah. Yeah, it was fair, that that bit was quite confronting to me. Yeah, so we're intentionally kind of or I guess I I was going to I'd like to talk a little more about the story, but I'm not sure there's too much more that we would we would get to other I, than I, just I sort think, of summarizing the I plot. I think it's good. I think yeah. it's good. I'll tell you what some other other stuff that I really enjoyed. I really really enjoyed the score in this. There's a lot right. of like swelling synth synthy kind of stuff that almost reminded me a bit of the her soundtrack i know that's just because it's my only touch point for like scores that i listen to but i really loved the score in this it was beautiful i thought yeah I thought that it, the way it was that almost it like played a little sound Greenwood. design yeah exactly that yeah. sort of thing with like with the um the movie with joaquin phoenix in it yeah you were never really here that one that you were never really um and there's this like something that this movie did and that you were never really here did is when they go from like a small town to new york city it all the noise when they first arrive in the city is so overwhelming especially with how stressful the situation has been so far it adds to the stress in a way that's quite quite visceral 
Like there's this yeah. scene where they're in the subway and all the trains are going past and the street buskers are just drummers that are just beating the shit out of these drums. Yeah, it's very it's just very, really really full on. It's an assault on the senses. And, yeah. Um another thing I really liked, uh not to just bulldoze you, so stop me if you want me to uh, if you want to dip in here, but I, re- okay. I I actually really enjoy the color palette of this movie. I, I think I it tried looks to great. Flip-flop. Yeah, I flip flop the whole time. I couldn't tell whether it was whether the tones were very warm or very cool. I think they're very cool, but there's lots of browns and blues that were quite noticeable. Like both characters wear these brown and blue like clothes that are quite that that really pop in the frame and I wanted to get your opinion on this because I sort of didn't really know what I was supposed to be looking for but it's lots of like autumnal I suppose autumn maybe maybe that's because it's her name but all these like autumnal yep. kind of kind of tones with the browns and the blues of all the clothing and specifically it's definitely a kind of wintry it, palette yeah it was so good it was really nice to look at I, I honestly couldn't tell I, yeah. I feel dumb that I couldn't tell whether it was a warm colour palette or a cool colour palette but it was one of those uh, I mean, it's not necessarily one or the other, so I think they probably just graded certain. Like, you can push blues and browns together, you know. Um, but yeah. uh, it was shot on um, real film. It was shot on 16mm. And I think that probably adds a little bit of that, like, kind of lovely, like, grain and texture to all of it that I really liked um, throughout. Yeah. I was unfortunately watching it on my fucking phone. My fucking phone. Oh yeah, um, you were watching it like but, four hours into a uh, COVID uh, yeah, test. Yeah, I was waiting line. for a COVID test <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on your phone and, in the uh, car. COVID test that took seven hours. So I watched this whole thing oh, through we mobile very, data. But uh, we had very different viewing experiences. I oh, speaking of which, you can watch it on Amazon Prime. Um, so Prime yeah. Video. So yeah, um, yeah. I think it looked really fantastic. I think the way that it was shot, not just the the um, not just the production design or the color, but the way that the cinematography was done um, was really it was very fantastic. It, it, this felt, it felt very intimate. It's like very close-up kind of shots a lot of the time. It must have been a lot of handheld camera because they were shooting on location, I imagine. I don't know whether I'm talking out of my ass there or not, but like it felt very intimate and very like like you were going along on the ride with them in a way that I think they used a bit of... I think they used a fair bit of handheld, yeah. Um, so you're lucky. But yeah, I, I, um, <laughs> I think... Thanks, uh, thanks, <laughs> I think that's especially I think that's especially challenging considering that Sidney Flanagan, who plays the main character Autumn, um, it has not acted in anything before. Um, she's focused on music, which shows up a couple of times in the film where she performs at like the talent show at the start, but um yeah. but she really hasn't acted at all. And I think like I think she does a very good job and also credit to um credit to Eliza Hitman for doing a great job of directing someone that's first time actor. Um, but having yeah, the the camera be like you know yeah these big fucking cameras they sometimes shot multicam, um, so like having two of these fuckers like right up next to your face and still giving a performance yeah. it's that that nuanced. I almost wonder if you wouldn't have or like it would have been harder to get someone that had done a lot more acting to underact as much as. She did. She seems like quite a sort of stoic she, she, person it's, anyway. It's one of those performances where you feel like she's not doing anything. Yeah, which is great. Like in a, yeah. in, a in just a, a purely naturalistic way, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So I really thought that was that was great. There's a couple of moments where the camera does things that I think are extremely clever. The one that I'm thinking of the most is um, where there's a the camera. It's when she first hears the heartbeat of the baby when she's getting a scan and the camera is on 
sort of on its side on her, like looking at her over her shoulder and it arcs all the way over her body around to the other side as she's turning her head away from the monitor and trying to kind of almost escape the sound. And it just is this amazing movement that perfectly mirrors how much she just wants to like get out, I think, of the situation or try and shut it out. Um, and, yeah. and there's a few moments where, you know, the way that it focuses is a particular hand-holding scene that without spoiling it, um, where the cousins hold hands and the way that the camera really focuses in on, on those particular moments and captures it, those, those little details, little I moments think is really great, fantastic. And that's, yeah. I think that's a lot done through the cinematography supporting the direction, yeah. which is, um, which is really lovely. So I think it, it's very understated in the way that it, the way that it looks, but, um, oh, and there's and uh, there's a lot of long takes in this, especially the um, the questionnaire scene. Oh, that was that was fantastic. An eleven minute take, and that was the first take they did. They did a couple more, but they didn't yeah. like them as much. So that was the first time that, that was... uh, the person, the woman asking the questions, is a real care worker that works in those circumstances. So she was doing it for real. Um, very cool and really like. I think if you could distill the film down into one scene, it would be it would be that eleven minute take. Of oh, a woman that was answering questions. Um, that was so good. They, they ask they ask very very personal questions that are stuff like, has a man ever hit, uh, has a partner ever hit you or have you ever been like forced into, into sex something. and all yeah all, all all this sort of stuff and it's it's very confronting and it's clearly like the first time that Autumn has had an interaction like this with an adult that actually cares and is just making time for her and wanting to have a proper conversation about her in a long time. And the way that she gets so completely overwhelmed by that is is great. Yeah. I thought it was really clever the way that that questionnaire is... So I, I feel like that feels, in that moment, that feels like such a blunt fucking instrument to try and... and uh, uncover i mean i know it's kind of like a scratch test for is this person experiencing emotional abuse are they safe yeah but what it feels like is is there's such like she's barely talking and so there's such complex answers to these such simple questions that it just feels like the tools that the counselor is given to try and work at these problems are so fucking basic and that there's so much work that needs to be done. There's such complex questions and they, they, they dig up so much history for the character Autumn, clearly, but all she's allowed to give us, or all she's encouraged to give us an answer is just like never, rarely, sometimes, or always. Right. Um, and so it's, 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 I had that same feeling where the woman, this woman like clearly cares about her. She's doing her she's best. still interacting in this very clinical scripted kind of context yeah, where totally. like this is the first the first adult that's been interacting with her in a way where they care but it's still through this veil through this like wall of um, this is still just part of my job and I, you you would never be having this conversation with me if it wasn't for the fact that I'm being paid to be here. So there's right. almost a bit of a tragedy there where you feel warm that Autumn's having this interaction but also kind of tragic that it has to be in this weird clinical kind of con- I mean clinical literally but also clinically emotionally yeah. it feels very medical in the way that it's being administered but for autumn it's obviously this uh this yeah very incredibly emotional experience and and very yeah. troubling so anyway yeah. I, I really love that it, scene that's probably my favorite um yeah me and, too uh, is that all we've got boy I reckon so. I reckon that's pretty much all. Um, I, I, it comes with both of these films come with strong recommendations. I think they're both. Yeah. Um, 
really interesting, very different uh, experiences of um, like young women. <laughs> um, yeah. One of them feels a yeah, lot more. Fair. One of them is almost like farcical, and the other one is very like very natural. Um, I think I would be a lot more yeah. readily prepared to recommend Shiver Baby to anyone. And then I think never really, sometimes always, it, it's so slow and not quite meditative, but it's slow and it's got enough of a confronting subject manager that subject manage, matter that it deals with in a very tactful way. But I still, I still think that you'd have to be in exactly the right mood and sort of know what you were getting in for to watch never really, sometimes always. In a yeah. way that I think is less true or less of a hurdle for Shiver Baby. Well, there's ver- yeah, very little comedy, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think I enjoyed... I mean, all in all, I, I have reservations about both of them for different reasons. I mean, Shiver Baby, I, I enjoyed to a, to a significant degree, but I still like the fact that it made me so uncomfortable in the moment. It was something I was wrestling with, and I thought about it later and thought, like, fuck, but it did it well, didn't it? Like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. fuck, it, it did exactly what it set out to do, and for that, you got to give props to it. But in the same way with Never Really, Sometimes Always, it was very slow, and at the time, I, while I was watching it, I thought like, um, oh, this is good, but it's slow. But then I thought like, oh, but I'm never quite bored. I'm, I'm, never, I'm never bored. I'm still compelled watching it the whole time. You've just got to be prepared for that kind of tone. I think, yeah, I think both of these films really torture their main characters in very different ways. Yeah. And yeah. uh, and one is torturing in a funny kind of, as you say, like a squirmy way. And the other one is torturing in like a really emotionally distressing but very compelling and fascinating empathetic kind of way um yeah yeah where someone's just so beaten down <laughs> that um that it's really <laughs> sort of tragic to think about but um yeah strong yeah. recommendation from both i think we've given a few Definitely. touch points so i don't really have a um better than better than worse no than. me neither me neither um but yeah i think something that occurred to me was it sort of without trying um, let's 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 pat ourselves on the back as two men for even bothering to watch two films directed by two women. Hey, hell yeah, we aren't did we, it. Aren't we great? <laughs> this is um, no. I, th- I have this is the woke edition for, um, of Beef Station. Yeah, that's right. I I got mad respect for for both of these writers directors because um uh, I really love both of these pieces and I'm very keen to see what what else they come out with because I think they're both quite sort of not early but um but not uh not sort of household names and um and i'm really excited with what they're both doing so yeah i think for shiver baby it was the director's first film and for never really sometimes always it was their third film right so i mean still yeah, up there but relatively but still. unknown so far yeah, yeah. great well and um, we're true to our word we still did we still did run over time but we have kept it shorter than we have been doing recently which is something that we will gladly welcome praise for yep so thank you for listening. Thank you to Please everyone who is as <laughs> thank you who has had to everyone who has kept the emails flooding in. Our email address is beefstationpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. All the links and everything are in the description of this episode. If you want to tell us what you want us to watch, if there's anything you've enjoyed in this recent or a past lockdown that you think is worth us going in on, by all means let us know. Uh, that's all from us though for this week. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. See you later. Oh, hey, should we give a shout out to what we're doing next week? Because we know already, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Are we? Do we? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it- so. Yeah. So next week we'll do oh, yeah. gr- The Green Knight. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. Yeah, next week we're doing The Green Knight. I don't know how you're going to watch it. You're going to have to steal it. If you're interested, how's this? If you're interested in watching The Green Knight and you know message, us personally, message me. <laughs> Yeah. Message Andrew or message yep. me, and he'll message, and we will we will arrange for you. And I'll to send have the you a Blu-ray. To... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll get Dev Patel. We'll send, send Dev Patel around to your house, uh, right. and he'll um he'll perform it out for you. No, we'll yep. we'll pull some strings. All right, I'll hook you up. Back to the outro music. See you later. Bye.